Good morning, Cornerstone. My name is Max He, and I will be doing the scripture reading for today. Today's reading comes from Luke chapter 13, verses 1 to 9. There were some present at the time, at that very time, who told him about the Galileans, whose blood Philip had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Were those eighteen on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who live in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the uh, vendresser, Look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answers him, Sir, let it alone this year also, until I dug around and put on manure. Then, then, if it should bear fruit next year, well and good, but if not, you can cut it down. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. If you're with us for the first time, we welcome you, and we have been going through a series in the Gospel of Luke. And we've seen that Jesus, uh, in the last few messages, and through this gospel as well, will continue to do so, is to get people to turn from their sinful ways and to turn and trust God in their lives and obey Him in their actions. Jesus has continued to point people to the Lord God. And last week in chapter 12, Jesus taught us not to be anxious, but instead we can trust in God and watch and experience a decrease in our anxiety the more we trust in Him, a God who cares for us and knows our needs. Today, Jesus urges us to repent or perish and then shares this parable, this story, to illustrate this. Why don't we... um, Go to the Lord in prayer before we delve into his word. Let's pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The last few chapters of Luke were not specific in helping us understand the location of where Jesus was specifically Uh, though he probably may have been in the area of Galilee, though we're not sure. But that's not really important here uh, in our text 13 through um, verses 1 through 9 in Luke. Because we know, uh, as we look at at least the setting, is that there were large crowds that were coming uh, to listen to Jesus' teaching and to observe his miracles or hoping for a miracle themselves of healing. And they were coming to him in large numbers. And our text is unique uh, in the Gospel of Luke. This means that none of the other Gospels contain uh, these words of Jesus, this situation, and this story, this parable that Jesus tells. It's unique to the Gospel of Luke. The subject of our text is found in the other Gospels, to repent. But... Uh, this specific, the words he uses in this story are not found in the other Gospels. Now, it's important to know that whenever 
anything is repeated in the scriptures, it is for emphasis. It's to emphasize it even more so. And Jesus repeated twice, saying these words in our text, in verses 3 and then verses 5. No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. He repeated that. No, I tell you, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. He's emphasizing this. Now, some people in the crowd told Jesus of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Now, Pilate was the prefect, or we could say governor of Jerusalem and that whole Judean area, like Governor uh, um, Murphy, right, is the governor of New Jersey, or Cuomo uh, is the governor of New York. But Pilate was the leader of that area for Rome. And we know he ruled from 26 to 36 AD over that area. Jesus took this opportunity with the crowd and uh, with this this information that was shared with him about the Galileans um, and what Pilate did to them to teach about God's judgment and to correct this popular view uh, that still exists today that personal uh, ailments, sicknesses, or tragedies that happen are directly a result of personal sin. And so Jesus asked these two rhetorical questions to the crowd of people. He said, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them? Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? The tower of Siloam was um, probably a tower, a part of the wall of Jerusalem near the pool of Siloam, which is mentioned in another place in the scriptures. Now, apparently, Pilate had some men from Galilee executed um, when they had come to Jerusalem to make sacrifices at the temple. And it was probably one of these three festivals that God had required all the men the men of Israel to come and gather in Jerusalem three times a year. So it might most likely was one of those festivals when he had these specific Galileans executed. But we know nothing more about this event because it's not recorded anywhere else or mentioned anywhere else in the scriptures or extra-biblical um, writings either. But it was obviously fresh on the minds and the memories of these Jews in the crowd. Jesus responded to both questions, these rhetorical questions, by saying twice, like I said before, for emphasis, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So Jesus reminded them and us that everyone has sinned. All of us deserve to die. Each person has only one hope when we face our personal sin. And then that is that we each must repent and turn from our sin and turn toward the Lord God in faith and in obedience and commitment. The issue of this, the way these people died, is also stressing that death can come at any minute. So we might all likewise perish without uh, any forewarning. And so we need to 
repent and turn toward God. Otherwise, we will perish. So to paraphrase, Jesus is saying, um, do not try to create this hierarchy of sin. Like some sins are, some people are so bad and they're, they're sinning and not as bad as I am. Do not try to make others greater sinners than yourself. In a sense, you have sinned. You need to repent. That's a paraphrase of Jesus' teaching there. You see, repentance had been a part of the teaching of scriptures all along. And for example, John the Baptist. It was part of what he was telling people to do in preparation for the coming of Jesus. And then repentance was part of what Jesus proclaimed from the beginning of his ministry. And then repentance was what the disciples proclaimed after Jesus was crucified and raised from the dead and, and ascended to heaven. For example, in Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, it says there, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then Jesus began his ministry, and in Mark 1, 14 and 15, it describes saying, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And then at Pentecost, Peter, one of the disciples of Jesus, preached to this crowd of Jews in Jerusalem. And he said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. To repent means to change one's life, one's way of life, as the result of a complete change of thought and attitude regarding sin and righteousness. Let me repeat that. To repent means to change one's life, one's way of life, as the result of a complete change of thought and attitude regarding sin and righteousness. In other words, it's a U-turn, or like I've said before, it's in the military, it's like, I'm going to bow face, and you turn around and go the other direction. It's, it's, a, it's a 180. We're going away from the direction we were going, and especially in regards to our sinfulness and our patterns and acts of sinfulness. Now, in English, often the focus of the word repent is on the sorrow or remorse that we feel due to our sinfulness. But the emphasis of the Greek word that's used here in this text, the New Testament scriptures were originally written in Greek. Uh, and so the Greek word used and translated here as repent in English uh, focuses more on the total change, both in thought and behavior with respect to how a person thinks and acts. So it's, a, it's like a uh, software upgrade <laughs> when we repent. It, it, that happens and then we change, and that results in a change in direction for us. For example, using this same Greek word, Jesus said in Luke chapter 3, verse 8, Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And then the Apostle Paul proclaimed, also using this same Greek word, and he said these words before, the, before King Agrippa, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. Repentance starts with an admission of our sinfulness. 
fessing up to our sin, admitting to the wrongs that we have done. But often, this is where you and I get stuck, is simply admitting we were wrong, admitting that we have hurt someone. Uh, The struggle starts for each of us when we're born. Uh, As a small child, we already start to make excuses for the things that we choose to do wrong. America's Funniest Videos and BuzzFeed uh, caught this struggle uh, in some of the kids on video. Take a look at this. Jaden? Who made the mess? Billy did? Come here, want to talk? Were you throwing stuff over the side? Nice. It's sugar, you know that, right? <laughs> Justin, what are you doing? Mommy's gonna be very upset. <laughs> yeah, you. Look what you guys did. Callie, what did you do? What did you guys do? I didn't do it. Why did you let her do that to you? Because I didn't see her. You... <laughs> what are you doing? Huh? Tatum, what happened to you? What were you doing? You don't know? What are you doing? What are you doing to Addison? What did you do with your stickers, Brayden? Now, we are no longer small children, but we still struggle as adults or older children to admit the sin that we commit to the Lord God and to the others that we hurt. Uh, Consider our most recent defense of an ungodly response or behavior. Uh, We may have said some things like these phrases. uh, I'm not feeling well. That could be an excuse. You know, I'm just not feeling well. Uh, You know, sorry about that. Or "I'm, I'm just exhausted. Or it's been a busy week. Or work is just stressing me out. We always try to make excuses for our behavior. Or maybe we've said, I can't help it. It's my personality. Or they knew they were pushing my buttons when they would do things like that. Sometimes that we say that in our, about our family members. Have you ever said, oh, I didn't mean to say that? Well, that's an excuse. The more truthful response should, have, should be, please forgive me for saying what I meant. Yeah. So what was the last regrettable thing that you have said and tried to justify? And what was your excuse? Think about that. Well, Jesus has taught in another area of Luke chapter 6, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. 
for out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. The first step of repentance or toward repentance is to admit our biggest problem in life is us. It's us. Uh, It's not our spouse. It's not our children. It's not our boss. It's not our government. It's not our culture. It's not our difficult circumstances. Our biggest problem, brothers and sisters, it is us. We're our biggest problem. We can try to change our circumstances and relationships, but we cannot run from ourselves. I mean, try it. Try running away somewhere, um, but no matter where we end up, we're still there <laughs> with ourselves. We cannot run from ourselves, and we are our biggest problem. The humbling message of Jesus is that salvation is never found in our religious acts of service. No matter how hard we work to feel better about ourselves and doing, quote, good things, it doesn't save us. No, it it will never save us. Um, Every other religion claims that there are things that we can do to achieve uh, acceptance with God. But as followers of Jesus, our hope is in the acts of love that Jesus has already done for the people of this world which includes us. We will never celebrate the good news of the resurrection like we will next Easter Sunday, this coming Easter Sunday, unless we accept the bad news uh, for the, that's why the reason it was required to happen. And that is, we are the problem. Our sinfulness has messed up everything. We are the problem. And Jesus is the only one who can save us from our sinful selves. Well, today is Palm Sunday, and it remembers the day when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, um, and people were proclaiming, you know, here's the king coming, and um, they had hope that he would save them. They waved palm branches, and they, you know, were yelling their praises of him, and then they threw the palm branches down in his path uh, for him to ride upon. But their hope was that he would save them from their Roman oppression. They didn't realize that they needed saving from their slavery to sin and God's judgment of them because of that. So to change direction, we first need to realize we're heading in the wrong direction, and that is the admission of our sin, our sinfulness. Repentance is that change of direction. So after we admit, then we actually do something about it. It's a change that we make, doing a 180 and going in the opposite direction and then following Jesus in obedience. So Jesus then tells this story, this parable of an unfruitful fig tree in a vineyard. He says, a man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look for three Look, for three years now, I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also, until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. Jesus used this story to illustrate God's judgment 
due to a lack of repentance. Repentance leads to fruitfulness. Unrepentance leads to unfruitfulness. And this parable is commonly understood to be a reference to the unrepentance of the nation of Israel in regards to seeing and believing in Jesus as Messiah. And then we know later in 70 AD, the Romans came in and utterly destroyed Jerusalem and God's temple, just leveled it and took whatever survivors, uh, most of them, and made them, made them slaves. Repentance is the evidence of a change of heart. And then a heart that changes and follows Jesus in obedience. And this results in fruitfulness. Fruitfulness means simply multiplication. I mean, you take example, one seed, one apple seed, can grow into a full apple tree, and then which produces many more apples. Fruitfulness, this image, this metaphor that Jesus continues to use for his followers, is that is one of multiplication. They bear fruit. And Jesus commanded us to make disciples as we are going about our regular everyday lives. Uh, when I lead one person to be a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, that is multiplication. When we plant seeds of truth in the lives of the people around us in our lives, and then some of those seeds of truth may bear fruit or to grow into faith of, in a person, that is multiplication. Um, when I serve others in the name of Jesus and I point them to Jesus as the reason why I'm serving in his name, that is planting seeds. Or it could be also watering the seeds that somebody else has planted in their hearts. This is the work of multiplication. This is bearing fruit. You know, there's a story that illustrates the fruitfulness that comes through real repentance. And I've told this story before, but it's so such a good illustration of this point that Jesus is making here. It is about the, a young man who heard his pastor preach, urging people to admit their sin and making um, up or amends for the wrongs that they've done to others in their lives. Well, afterwards, the young man uh, went up to the pastor after the message. And he said to the pastor, Pastor, I'm in a hard spot. I have wronged another, and I am ashamed to admit it to this person or to try to put it right. You see, I'm a boat builder, and the man I work for is an unbeliever, and I have talked to him and tried to um, point to his need to follow Christ as Lord and urged him to come and hear you preach um, but he mocks and ridicules it all the time. He mocks me too. And now I have been guilty of something that if I should acknowledge it to him, will totally ruin my witness with him forever. And then this young man went on to say that some time ago he had started to build his own boat uh, in his own place. And in this work of building boats, copper nails 
are used because they do not rust in water. But the thing is that they're very expensive. And so this young man had been carrying home um, bunches of these copper nails from his workplace uh, to use on his own boat. And he justified it uh, in his own mind because he felt like he wasn't getting paid enough anyway. And, and the, the, his boss, the owner of this other this company he worked for, uh, had so many copper nails anyway, he wouldn't really even miss them. But the pastor's message had brought him to the point to realize that he was just a common thief without any excuse. What he was doing was sinful and wrong. And then he continued saying to the pastor, but I cannot go to my boss and tell him what I have done or offer to pay for those that I have used and return the rest. If I do, he'll just think I'm a hypocrite. And yet those copper nails are digging in my conscience and I know I shall never have peace until I make this, set this matter right. And so for weeks, this struggle, this internal struggle in this young man went on. And then one night he came back and he shared with the pastor. And he said, Pastor, I've settled with and for the copper nails and my conscience is relieved at last. And so the pastor asked him, so how did your boss respond when you admitted uh, what you did? And the young man answered, oh, he looked strangely at me. And he, then he said, George, I always did think you were just a hypocrite. But now I begin to feel there's something in this Christianity after all. Any religion that would make a dishonest workman come back and confess that he had been stealing copper nails and offer to settle for them must be worth having. Repentance leads to fruitfulness. Unrepentance leads to unfruitfulness. Unrepentance is the refusal to follow Jesus in obedience. And this leads to no fruit, no multiplication in the kingdom of God, no producing, bearing fruit to bring glory to God. But as we see in the story of this fig tree, God is gracious with us and merciful. He gives us time to repent and to follow him. In other words, if you remember the vine dresser, he said he'd dig around the vine, uh, the fig tree and give it some manure. The point that we could take from this is that when we are living in rebellion against God, he often brings poop into our lives in order to get us to be more fruitful for his kingdom. Yeah, fruit is the result of a repentant heart of faith. And ultimately, God judges us on the fruit that we bear for him or the lack of it. The Holy Spirit is the one who really produces fruit in us when we follow Jesus in faith and are transformed into his image. So, brothers and sisters, let's follow what Jesus said. Repent or perish. If we repent of our sin and follow Jesus as Lord, then we will bear fruit. It's a given. What kind of fruit is your life producing if you are following Jesus as Lord? God did not intend for our fruit to be born either in isolation just by ourselves, like the American thinking is always uh, leading us to. 
right? It's very personal bearing of fruit. No, it's all in the context of the church community as the scriptures continue to teach us in that context. And for example, Jesus said in John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Cornerstone, brothers and sisters, we are all connected to the same vine in faith in Jesus Christ. He is the vine and we are the many branches in his church, in his assembled ones, the church community, and specifically at Cornerstone for us who are listening to this. And together, we bear fruit to bring him glory as the living God, Savior of the world in Jesus Christ. And this fruit is in keeping with our repentance, the repentance of our hearts. So repent or perish. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for this challenge through Jesus Christ. For we know that you desire that we come to know you because the more we know you, the more that is beneficial to us and to your kingdom and to this world. For then it will transform us, this knowledge, this presence of you in us through your Holy Spirit transforms us to be, in a sense, little Christs, Christians on this earth, your body on this planet, sharing the truth that sets people free from their slavery to sin. Oh Lord, we pray that you would form in us here at Cornerstone so that you can bring glory to yourself and that the world will know that you are Lord when they see us following you together in unity. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, happy Palm Sunday and look forward to celebrating with you next Easter Sunday.